Good morning, friends, and thank you so much for joining us for the beginning, the first portion of Parshas Chukas. Parshas Chukas has many interesting stories in it. For example, we're going to see the passing of Miriam, the sister of Moshe and Aaron. We have the story with the water, after which Moshe and Aaron are the decree that they're going to die in the desert. There's a confrontation with Edom. Aaron passes away. There's another confrontation with Amalek. There's an incident with the snakes, a miracle at the Zered River, as well as a conquest of the territories of Sichon, Yazir, and Og. Really, this Parsha takes us 38 years ahead from where we left off from the story of Korach, right at the uh, edge of where they're about to go into the land of Israel. However, the portion begins, <coughs> today's Aliyah and the beginning of tomorrow's Aliyah, starts with the most mysterious law of the Torah, the Chok of all Choks. Chok meaning a decree that where the Torah doesn't give us the explanation for it. The quintessential Chok, which is that of the Paraduma, the red cow. So let's jump right in with Chumash and Rashi. We are now in Numbers chapter 19, verse 1. God says to Moshe and to Aharon, He says, This is the Chok of the Torah, Torah, that God commanded to say, speak to the Jewish people, and they shall take to you, Rashi will tell us that refers to Moshe, they shall take to Moshe, what should they take? Paraduma, a red cow, Timima, unblemished, that has no blemish. Now right there you have a, uh, a redundancy, seeming redundancy, so Timima means without blemish or complete, but it implies without blemish. And then it spells it out. It says that has no blemish. What are the two things? Rashi will explain. Another qualification for this red cow is that no yoke was ever placed upon this red cow. Now, I'll just jump ahead. What is this red cow for? This red cow is, is used in the purification process for purifying a person who has come into contact with the dead or been in a structure in which there was a corpse. And we'll see what happens with it. But first the Torah lays out what this cow has to look like. Let us look at Rashi. Zos chukata Torah. This is the statute of the Torah. Rashi tells us that the Satan and the nations of the world, they taunt the Jewish people and they say, Maha mitzvah azot. What is this mitzvah? What kind of mitzvah is this? What reason does it have? Because it, it, a lot of it seems to be um, not only doesn't you don't have a reason it seems illogical. Therefore, it says about it chuka chuka is a It's a decree. He milafanai. It is a decree from before from God from me. The ein and you have no permission to wonder about it. You, you're not going to understand this mitzvah. God is saying it by calling it a chuk. And when the nations of the world are going to taunt you about it, remember, it is a chok, it is a, it's from God. And therefore, the fact that there's no, don't have a reason for it, that shouldn't disturb you. Lecha, Rashi says, take to you, it's all, this, this, uh, this cow, this red cow is always going to be named for, after Moshe, the cow that Moshe prepared in the desert. Now we know in Jewish history there were 10 
such red heifers, red cows. The first was made by Moshe, and the last will be be made. So nine have been made so far. The tenth one will be made in the time of Mashiach. Aduma Tamima, this has to be uh, red without blemish. What does that mean? Rashi says it has to be complete and unblemished in its redness. In other words, if it has uh, two hairs that are black, even just two hairs, certainly if it had three or more, it would be invalidated for this um for this purpose. Now, so there's the chok right there. Why does it have to be a red cow? So the, the chukim will start piling up as we go through this law. Why is it so important? Verse 3, you shall take, you shall give it, this cow, to Elazar the Kohen. Who is Elazar? He's the son of Aaron, and he's also the deputy high priest. So as Rashi says, the mitzvah, this mitzvah has to be performed by the deputy to the Kohen Gadol. He should take it outside the camp. Rashi will tell us what does it mean outside the camp. Outside all three camps. As we've learned in the past, there were three concentric circles. The inner circle, which is the the uh, camp of the divine presence where the tabernacle was situated. At, around that, the second camp is the camp of the Levites. And around that is the camp of the rest of the Israelites. So when it says outside the camp... Which one does it refer to? Rashi tells us it refers to all three. It's really outside of the camps of Israel. Vishachat and he shall slaughter it in front of him. Rashi tells us that means that somebody else shall slaughter this cow in front of Elazar the Kohen. And as Rashi tells us, it doesn't have to even have to be a Kohen. It could be a non-Kohen. In fact, as he says it as a statement, a non-Kohen slaughters it, and Elazar has to be present and seeing. Verse 4, and then what, is, what happens then? Elazar the Kohen will take from the blood with his finger and he will sprinkle towards the face of the Oa Moed from its blood seven times. So here he is, he's standing, as Rashi says, east of Jeru- in the east of Jerusalem. And he is facing and looking at the opening, the entrance to the Hechal, to the, to the Holy, while he is sprinkling this blood. What does he do next? Verse 5, he burns. Now this cow that has been slaughtered is now burnt in, in his presence completely. The hide, the fat, the flesh, the blood, the dung, he shall burn it. Yisrof. Verse 6, and the Kohen shall take eight erez, a piece of cedar wood, the azov, a hyssop, ushnise laas, and a crimson wool, and he shall throw it into the burning of the cow. So, the as I said, the chukim will start piling up. Why these specific things? Why are they thrown in and burnt? Verse 7, And now the chok of within this chok, which is that the pert, even though this whole uh, ritual is created and its function is to create purity, it purifies a person who became tamay, uh, ritually impure by contact with the dead, Nevertheless, the person who is engaged in preparing and administering this um, purification, he himself becomes impure. Very counterintuitive. So verse 7 says, he sh- The Kohen shall wash his clothing and he shall bathe his flesh in water. Meaning he should go in a mikvah and only then can he come into the camp. 
But first, it has to, after he goes to the mikvah, he has to wait until nightfall, as the verse says, and then he can come into the camp. So he goes into a mikvah, he waits until nightfall, and now he is able once again to come into the camp. Which camp are we talking about now? This time, Rashi tells us, we're talking about the camp of the Shekhinah, of the Divine Presence. The, and, and as Rashi says, the only type of, of uh, impurity that requires one to be sent out of all the camps is only the Zav and the Balkari and the Mitzorah, the one Mitzoras. Verse 8. The one who burns the cow, he must wash his clothing in water and immerse in a mikvah. And he also will be impure even after immersing in the water until nightfall. Verse 9, Vasaf Ishtahar, now a pure a person who is pure shall gather the ashes of this cow and he shall place it outside the camp in a holy in a in a pure place. And it shall be for the Jewish people, Lemishmeres for keepsake, Lemeinida, Meinida, Rashi translates Nidak from the word to throw. Lemeinida, a water for throwing or sprinkling. Chatas, he, and Rashi interprets chatat as cleansing so these are two confusing words nida meaning to throw in this context and chatas which usually you think of as a sin refers to cleansing as uh, i believe is gorarius says what sin is over here there's no sin here so why is it called chatat because chatat can also mean a cleansing rashi tells us that the 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 um the command was actually to take these ashes and split them into three Portions. One portion was placed in the Har Hamishcha, which is the Mount of Olives. The other was divided among the watches, the Mishmarot. The, as we know, the Kohenim, the priests, were divided into 24 Mishmarot, who served at different times in the Temple. So it was divided among them. So they would have it in order to use it in case somebody who was impure came to the Temple and needed to be purified. They would have it. And the second and the third was placed in the Chel, which is on the rampart surrounding the temple area. Um, verse 10. And now the one who gathers the ashes, he also has to wash his clothing. So he comes in pure, but now that he was engaged with these ashes, he has to wash his clothing and he, has, and he will be impure until evening. And this shall be for the Jewish people and for the convert that dwells among you, lechukas oilam, for a eternal statute. Verse eleven. Now, what is this all? All this for? Now the Torah explains what it's for. A person who touches the corpse of a human being, he shall be impure for seven days. Verse 12, who is Khataboy on the third and seventh days he shall cleanse himself. Again, we have this word khatat, like we had before that meant cleanse. You have it again in verse 12. Yishata, he shall be cleansed with this water. We're talking about ashes so far, but as we'll see, it gets mixed with water. But Yamashlishi On the third day and on the seventh day, he should be purified with this water, sprinkled water. And if he is not cleansed with it on the third and seventh day, he will not be purified. Verse 13, anybody who touches the corpse of a human soul that dies and was not cleansed with this purification process, and he goes, now I'm adding brackets over here, and he goes and enters the holy 
the tabernacle or the, or the temple, as Mishkan Hashem Time, he has contaminated the tabernacle of God. That soul will be cut off from Israel. Why? Because Meimida, the, the sprinkling waters, were not thrown upon him, so he's still impure. Oi to Masaboy, his uncleanness remains upon him. Rashi says, the, the verse says, he, he touches the corpse of a, of, a, of a human soul. Rashi says that comes to exclude the soul of an animal. If a person touches a dead animal, he does not require this purification process. Second explanation, Rashi says, that is referring to somebody who touches the blood of a, of a dead person, of a corpse, in, in the amount of a revit. Rashi says, if he entered the azara, the courtyard of the, of the temple, even if he has immersed himself in a mikvah, but if he hasn't had these uh, sprinklings on the third and seventh day, he is he has contaminated the, the, the holy. Verse 14, this is the law of a man who, of a man who dies in a tent. So now the Torah is adding something that is not just touching a corpse that will make a person impure, but it is, um, even if one enters a structure in which there is a corpse, one would um, one would have this impurity come upon him. So as the verse says, oil, anybody who enters the tent, or anyone who is in the tent, will become impure for those seven days. Rashi tells us this is only if one enters the structure while the corpse is still there. If the corpse has been removed, then the person does not become impure. Verse 15, now it talks about not a person, but a vessel that is in that structure. And you have an open vessel, klipasuach. Rashi tells us that it's talking about a earthenware vessel, and it's open, and it doesn't have a tzamid pasil, it does not have a seal fastened around it on top. Tamehu, it becomes unclean. As Rashi says, a earthenware vessel does not become impure from the outside. It only becomes impure from the inside. And so when it is in this room, the impurity is entering, can only enter this vessel if the top of the vessel is open. If the vessel is closed and, and, is, and fastened, as the verse says, there's no way for the impurity to uh, get into this vessel. It doesn't, it doesn't contaminate it from the outside in the case of an earthenware vessel. And so it would remain pure if it was actually fastened. If it was not, if it was not closed, then the impurity would enter through the top, through the opening of the vessel. Uh, Rashi tells us that the word pasil, which means fastened, he says that it is in the Arabic language, lashon mechubar, fastened or connected. And he brings as a source for this what uh, Leah said when she had a, uh, the child, she called him Naftali, and she said the words, Naftule Elokim Niftalti, I have, with divine bonds I have been joined, Nishabarti im Achoisi, with my sister. Verse 17, Anyone who touches one slain by the sword, Bachalal Cherev, Oyvemeis, of human bone or a grave, and this is all on the open field, Al Pnei Hasadeh, he shall become impure for seven days. Rashi says, what does it mean on the face of the field, on the open field? That is to contrast it with what we were learning before about somebody entering a structure in which there was a corpse. This is out on the open field. There you have to touch it in order to become impure. And Rashi gives another explanation, which is that on the face of the field 
comes to include the top and side of a coffin, that if a person touches that, it becomes impure, even though he hasn't touched the actual corpse. Verse 17, you shall take from the, you shall take for that unclean person, from the ashes of the burnt purification offering, and you shall put upon it, and I'm sorry, it shall be placed in a vessel filled with spring water, so that's spring water, literally is, Living waters, El Kelly, into the vessel, and it's from that vessel that you would you would um, sprinkle on those in need of purification. I just want to conclude. That concludes the Aliyah. But I'll conclude with a. Even though we said that this is the Chok of all Choks, all Chokim, want to give some Hasidic insights into what we've learned. So first of all, the uh, Hasidic masters talk about the idea that the death. Right, so death, the reason that there's impurity with death, because godliness, divinity, is associated with life. And when there's an absence of life, that is a concealment of divinity and therefore a, a place of impurity. On a psychological level, or spiritual level, this death that requires purification is talking about an inner death, a soul death, where a person is feeling dead inside, with whether with depression or lethargy. And how does a person get out of that? And the Rebbe had a very interesting teaching on that. And today is the Rebbe's 27th, the anniversary of the 27th passing of the Rebbe. So sharing a teaching of his on this day is extra special. The Rebbe taught that we find that part of the process of purification is that the Kohen has to be willing to sacrifice his own purity. He has to be willing to become impure, albeit temporarily, in order to... Uh, facilitate the purification process and rehabilitation of another Jew who has become contaminated to the dead. And the Rebbe said that we learn from that that if you want to be freed of your own contamination to the dead, meaning this kind of inner death or depression or being stuck, it, it can be accomplished through trying to help another Jew, another person, and to do so not with the intention oh if i help somebody else then i'm going to be helped no it has to be done truly in this counterintuitive way where the person is willing to become in the cone is really to become impure in order to help another person and uh, a second part of that is that as we saw in the first verse that it has to do with moshe it says take the paraduma to moshe to moses we learn from that that it is through uh, going through this process, but also our connection to Moses and the Moseses in every generation, in all the generations, that we are able to achieve purification. Another very interesting teaching we have from the Alter Rebbe, which is, what is the significance of the third and seven days? So he says, we not, we're familiar with the seven attributes of the soul or the seven emotions. We know that between Pesach and Shavuos, we have the seven weeks. Each of those weeks, we're refining another one of the emotions. So what is number, emotion number three and emotion number seven? The emotion number three, so it's, it's a chesed, gevurit, it's kindness, severity, strength. And the third is teferis, which is associated with mercy. And so the first step in coming out of this uh, impurity and rehabilitation is to evoke our, our uh, power of compassion. And compassion on who? compassion on the soul that is within us when a person thinks about the soul that is kind of like a prisoner within us within our ego within our body and has compassion for the soul and what it has to be going through in that imprisonment or in that exile and the knowledge that by 
studying Torah, by doing mitzvot, by doing what we need to do in this world, by being our best selves, we free the soul from that exile, from that imprisonment. When we have that compassion on the soul, that is a way to kickstart, to get the motor running again, so to speak, when we've fallen into a rut, to have compassion, think about the condition of the soul and have compassion upon it and free it from its exile. And the seventh attribute is Malchus is associated with humility. And so the, the two steps, so to speak, of having our um, this, this impurity removed from us is number one, the third day, which is corresponding to the attribute of compassion, and the seventh day, which which is corresponds to the attribute of humility, understanding that when we're when we're stuck, when we're stuck, what it really boils down to is the ego, and which is which is um, which is separating and creating a barrier between us and the divine. And in order to let the divine life flow through us again, and to purify ourselves. We need to, uh, the, the ego has to be humbled and let the divine flow flow once again through us. So wishing you a wonderful day and hope to see you again tomorrow for the second Aliyah of Parshas Chukat.